can tell that something significant is happening when the environment around you starts to change and you start to feel it. For 13 years, I've been preaching at Dort University, and for 13 years, this side has always been more full than this side. And something's changed. And the only thing I can think of is it's the hockey team now all sits in that row there. Like, are you guys showering? Are you, are you taking care of yourselves? More lettuce than a Dort Dining salad bar in that row. Sorry, dad joke. We want to talk today about the sharing of the Holy Spirit. As we've seen sort of this progression take place, um, there's been a movement where we're going to switch almost in the, in the next couple weeks in chapel, almost following a pattern like a Pauline letter, where he often starts off um, with a lot of the indicative of describing the way that things are and then moving to the imperative of, and this is what it means. So this is kind of our big so what turning point in this chapel series on the Holy Spirit. And I hope that in this time, you'll allow us to maybe provoke you a little bit. The Holy Spirit has a tendency to make people a little bit uncomfortable at times. And that's part of his job, because he can't take us from where we are to somewhere new if there isn't a little bit of dissonance going on in the middle of that. So I, as that happens, I want you to embrace that rather than be afraid of it. It's hard to come up, though, for a, a preacher with metaphors to describe the Holy Spirit. Sam's done a lot to help us understand already the, the, his work as a person and not just merely as a power. And I was trying to think more and more of if we're going to invite you and you're going to make a conscious effort inside of your being, in your prayer life, in the actions and steps you're taking in life to more fully embrace a greater work of the Spirit in you, how do you describe that? What happens? I've been searching for all kinds of metaphors, and at the end of the day, all of them will fall short. One of the ones I came back to this week was sort of the classic Coke and Mentos science experiment. You guys, you guys remember doing this? Which actually works better technically with diet because the artificial sweeteners actually have a greater reacting agent. And you, never mind, you guys already passed grade six science. So I'll move on. But I thought for a minute even about actually doing this up here but I thought I'd get in trouble for the cleanup and mess. So we're um, just going to let somebody try this maybe out front in their mouth after the fact. They don't even have a bowl. So that would actually be a lot more fun anyway. But what I want you to imagine for a minute, right? If we're described in the New Testament, Paul describes this as like jars of clay, as vessels, right? This vessel is already full. Right? When God created you, you're very good. That's what he said when God was done creating people. He really liked what he, he liked his handiwork. He was pretty impressed with it. He said at the end of it, it's very good. Most of us don't look in the mirror, right, when we wake up in the morning and be like, very good. But that's how God sees you. And yet there's the potential for even more. There's the eternal possibilities of who you are called to be through the work of the Holy Spirit somehow become collapsed into the present. It's like taking a vessel that's already full, but now putting in it an activating agent that makes it become something more that it cannot even be contained in the current vessel that it has. It has to move out. 
And if you've ever done this experiment or watched a video of it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit is sort of like the Mentos in this. He collapses future possibilities into present realities. He takes the work of he- and the power of heaven and then combines it with the substances of earth. Bruce Waltke reminds us that God, when he's working, is not only working in time, but he's actually working with time. Time is not something God is subject to. So when we sing about, right, um, my present, my future, my past, like, God, you're in all of this, it's not even that God is waiting for those things to happen. God is experiencing all of them. He's outside of time. He's working with time while working in time. Boom. But heaven's possibilities become earth's realities when we open ourselves up to the possibility of the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's always a collapsing of the future into the present. I pray that every single week in my church on Sunday morning. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Holy Spirit as the interlocutor between heaven and earth come and combine those possibilities and every bit inside of you that longs for something more that wants to get rid of a sin that doesn't like a certain insecurity that you have that has questions that's the space that is the most fertile ground for the holy spirit to take the future possibilities and break them into your present i know that every single one of you knows that there's something more in life The Holy Spirit is that more. And he cultivates a hunger for that more, and then he delivers on the more. That's what he does. And as we get into the practicalities of this and why Jesus was so excited about sharing the Holy Spirit and why he thought that was going to be such a big impact in your life and why he even planned it that way in the beginning. I first want to just go back and and recap the last couple of weeks, okay? So our prophet in residence... If we can go to his picture here a minute. Um, This is Pastor Sam Ashmore, circa 2012, in a Dort promotional video. You're welcome, Sam. First class I ever taught at Dort, Core 150, Sam Ashmore, freshman, sitting front row center, super involved in discussions, and I had this assignment when we got to the prophets. We talked about the characteristics of prophecy and what it is that a prophet actually did and how it is that he was received. And so my homework assignment was to actually write a prophetic letter for the church in America today. And when they brought him all to class, I asked who would go first, and Sam went, and he came up and he messed his hair all up to look like some wild prophet from the wilderness. And then in a bombastic southern voice just went at it and you were the first texan i ever met and now i'm part of your y'all <laughs> but what's so fun about all of this is the student has become the teacher and i've been taking furious notes the last little while of the things that sam's been teaching and my four highlights that i got the last couple weeks were this that Jesus' identity as, his, as God's beloved son precedes his power as savior. 
the highlight reel of my notes going through here. Jesus is thrust into the wilderness full of the Spirit and then leaves it in the power of the Spirit. And it's that place of suffering and struggle that the Spirit reveals to us what that power actually looks like. It's not a power over, but it's a power under kind of power. It doesn't alleviate any problems in our lives, but it gives us the strength to endure them and somehow find redemption even within the hardest things that we go through. It's a different kind of power, one that doesn't have to win. It's like being a Vikings fan. I'm a Vikings fan. Give me a little license here. The grand story of Scripture is, is going somewhere. It's moving, right? It's, it's, it's moving on this, on this path from where we see so much conversation about God the Father in the earlier stages, and then, of course, the excitement when the sun arrives. But now we hit the stage in the biblical narrative where Jesus is transferring focus and attention of the Trinity on the Holy Spirit. There's a third century heresy called modalism that believed that God was almost like some sort of transformer, that God then became um, the, the Son who then became the Spirit. Um, interestingly enough, the only denomination today that still actually believes this is doctrine, the United Pentecostals. Um, but this third century heresy, the church says that's not the case. God is three persons. But think of it as like a giant drama, okay? A play. And there's three actors. But they all take turns letting one of them move to the front and the center of the stage, and they celebrate his presence there. They don't disappear, they don't cease to exist, but they take turns, sort of moving and celebrating each one at the forefront. And as we get to the end of Jesus' ministry, his language starts to sound like him going a little bit backward in order to push the Holy Spirit forward. And as he does, he is really excited about what's going to happen. Look at it, well, in the best way to, I think, examine this, and I really want to encourage and challenge you to do this sometime this week, is to sit down and read John 14 through 17. It's what theologians refer to as the farewell discourse. It's when Jesus is prepping his disciples for his departure and prepping them for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And you see the selfless nature of the three persons of the Trinity referring to one another, just in glorious and celebratory language. They're enamored with each other. And so no wonder to be invited into the community of fellowship that is the Trinity is to be the object of God's affection. And just as the Father was so in love with Jesus before he ever did anything, he's so in love with you. Because he created you. And then even what you couldn't do, Jesus did for you. And then he shared it with you. And Sam talked last week about Jesus being this model, right, in our lives, that we can, we can look to him as a model. And what I want to show you in this first passage, um, let's go to John 14, 16 to 18. Jesus is telling them about his departure, right? And he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. You know, much is made at the beginning of the Gospel of John when we talk about Jesus came um, from heaven in the incarnation and made his dwelling in his home among us. Jesus is saying now at the end of the, his ministry, the Holy Spirit is going to come and make his dwelling within us. God is coming ever closer still, inviting us 
deeper story. But if we can go back to the slide on verse 16, the first one. And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate. I just want to show you how important understanding this word is. Another. In Greek, there's two words for another. There's alos another and a teros another. An alos another is another of a similar kind, and a teros another is another of a different kind. So think of it like this. Again, metaphors break down, but just think of it like this, okay? Like twins. You can have identical twins. That's like an alos twin, right? Another of a very, very similar kind. Um, from the same egg fertilized but then split, so it's identical. Or you can have fraternal twins. They're similar, but pretty different. This is an alos another. Another of a similar kind. Another of an identical kind. Jesus says, I want you to think about the Holy Spirit like he's my twin. And so think about the things then, what would happen in a room when Jesus enters in. Like, let's get really practical here. What happens when Jesus shows up in a space? Who does he look for in that room? He's not searching around looking for the person of the greatest political power or wealth. He's looking for the person that needs his father the most. If we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and follow his model, the very practical things that Jesus did because of the Holy Spirit in him are the same kind of things his church is going to do because of the Holy Spirit within them. And I love that there's almost interchangeable language. By the time we get to verse 18... You can jump ahead there. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Wait a second. You just said you were leaving and the Holy Spirit was coming. But apparently the Holy Spirit is so much like Jesus that it's basically as if Jesus himself shows up. My wife roomed with identical twins when we went to Dort. And I couldn't tell the difference between the two of them. One was named Lori, the other one was named Lois. I just, every time I met him, I was like, hey, Loris, because I couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> um, but that's what's going on here, and that's what Jesus wants us to understand. I think often we think of the Holy Spirit as this something so ethereal and other, and Jesus is like, I want you to think about me when you think about the Holy Spirit. And... There's nothing that he's ever going to do that I wouldn't do. And there's nothing that either one of us would do that our father hasn't already done. And read John 14 to 17, and, you, and it almost feels like you're watching the script of like that who's on first. It starts getting so confusing as they're playing the interplay between um, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, in there, read it through, Jesus mentions the father 48 times in three chapters. 16 times his passage is all about the son, all about the spirit that is coming. And it's just this beautiful Trinitarian weave that happens. Now, jumping ahead, one of the other passages in here. Um, if we can go to the next one, uh, John 14, 22 to 23. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Like, why don't you go and do this then? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Right? So here again, he's saying the Spirit's going to come and do this. But when he actually talks about it, it's him and the Father coming through the work of the Holy Spirit into their lives. And you see this incredible weaving happening. 
But notice the question of the disciples. Jesus, why, why don't you stick around longer and do this? Why do you keep talking about leaving? And part of the farewell discourse is Jesus preparing the disciples because it's better for the world if he goes away, according to Jesus. Why is that the case? Why didn't Jesus just become a celebrity mega pastor and do it himself? Instead, the infinite wisdom of the throne room of heaven decided that the salvation of the world would best be accomplished, not if Jesus stuck around longer, but if he gave the Holy Spirit to all of his followers. And if you did it, you and me. Jesus' answer to the question, why aren't you going to do it? Is I am, but I'm going to do it through you. See, at 30 years of age is when a rabbi would emerge in Jewish society and start having his disciples collect around him. And the great question a rabbi had to be able to ask himself is, can these people teach what I teach and can they do what I do? Can they follow the model? And by the grace of the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus, also then now is going to empower us. And so Jesus is picking his disciples based on can they teach what I teach and can they do what I do? And people who've been sitting and listening to the teaching now are going to have to go and do the doing. The indicative is becoming the imperative. It gets spelled out even more explicitly in John 15, 26 and 27. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. There's not, it's not should testify. It's must. And yet is there anything that scares a modern day Christian more than a command to go evangelize the world? It's probably right up there with public speaking and snakes um, in terms of our top fears. We are, you want to make someone nervous, tell them to go share their faith with somebody. We get freaked out by this. But why? Look at what Jesus does. Every room he enters into, every space he arrives at, all he's doing is seeking to listen, to understand, before he even seeks to be understood. And he tells us that's the way that we should do it. And he finds the place of pain in people's lives. And he tries to become, and he does become, good news to them. Sometimes with words of encouragement, sometimes of friendship, sometimes a new community, sometimes healing. If I want to become like Jesus, and I want to see the Holy Spirit come alive in my life, I need to be able to walk into a room and be motivated by the same things that Jesus was. Am I more interested in somebody else receiving some good news in this moment than I am me? And if we can begin to make that switch, that might be the single biggest lever of spiritual maturity that can be pulled in our lives. When our preoccupation becomes about the betterment of something other than ourselves. When the motivations for me choosing my career aren't about because it's going to create comfort and security for me, but it's going to create transformation for this community, now we're talking. When our motivations start to become replaced, and I want to let you know, if you're inviting the Holy Spirit into your life, this is what he wants to do. 
He wants to free you from the prison of selfishness and allow you to motivate and change your life to be driven by a love for the other. Because watch, all the gifts that are coming of the Spirit, all, all the workings, all the fruit of the Spirit are all things that cannot happen in a vacuum. You don't learn to exercise the fruit of patience in a vacuum living by yourself. You can only learn to be patient and exercise and give someone the gift of patience when it's given away. The Holy Spirit will increase within us an ever-increasing sense of hospitality. Think about Jesus' mission statement. I have come. I have come that you would have life and have it to the full. So if I'm going to be like Jesus and I'm going to follow this model, then part of my mission in life has to be being able to enter into a scenario and say, I have come that they would have life and have it to the full. Not I have come that I can create for myself the best life that I possibly can, but I have come just like my Savior. And not in the same way, but in a modeling after to be the best news in this person's life. And this is God's plan. Last one, John 14, verse 12. Save the best for last. Very truly I tell you, this is Jesus' language for fasten your spiritual seatbelts. I'm about to hit you. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Door University, you take the Bible seriously, right? It's not a rhetorical question, right? Okay. Right? Yeah, okay. Th Jeremy does. Thank goodness. We take this seriously. But how many of you before chapel today did something greater than Jesus? Really, nobody? It's a hard one, isn't it? Because we think greater and we think in earthly terms, right? Elevated, more substantial, on a bigger stage, with more followers, a greater TikTok influence. Not Jesus. He was so excited about the work of the Spirit because he wanted to see it happen in your life. And in mine. And wouldn't it be just like the King of Kings to lay down his life and his greatest glory, not for himself, but for his church? to change and transform the world. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about how that happens and how his plan actually is to get executed as we look at the book of Acts and the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And as you've got questions about that, I want to invite you to the panel discussion tonight with Campus Ministries and the Theology Department. We're going to walk in. We'll have a Slido up on the screen. And you can ask any question you want to about the Holy Spirit. Um, and we'll do our best as a team to answer them all for you. So I want to encourage you with that. Band, if you want to come on up. And uh, we'll be in SB 1606 tonight um, from 8.30 to 10. And we would love to see a bunch of you there. Bring your questions, um, and we'll wrestle through them together. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, when you sent your son, we want to be able to believe what he taught. And then teach what he taught. And even do what he did. God, you are so good to us to never leave us alone, to give us superpowers beyond our own human capabilities because you bring part of heaven into our own lives. 
And you make future possibilities become our present realities. And you let us see that. Father, help us to open our eyes to see it even more. And to let you come and be the change agent in our life. To bring us to repentance for our sins. And freedom to enter into the dreams that you have for us. And for everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen.